Welcome to Piercing the Veil on BBSRadio.com, a show for truth seekers and rebels. Join us every week as we obliterate willful ignorance, corruption, globalist agendas, and more. Tune in every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Pacific, and listen carefully as we provide crucial solutions, information awareness, and unique life hacks to improve our planet. Here's the best, and the truth will reveal itself. All right. Greetings, world. Welcome back to another episode of Piercing the Veil. Uh, we went ahead and skipped last week. Uh, we had a show planned for uh, truth tellers and whistleblowing and what it takes to really uh, put yourself out there and overcome social media pressure, uh, the backlash of all the sheep, if you will, which is not really too hard to overcome. Uh, it just takes being confident in yourself, uh, a willingness to be relentless and never back down from a position that you know to be true and morally correct and a few other factors. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and wrap that around to another show date, and Corey and I will have a discussion on that and take some calls if necessary. Uh, but that was supposed to be last week, and, and instead of that, we had a rerun. I did give an announcement on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> they're just outright fucking with me. Uh, they'll delete random posts without any warning or without shadow banning. You know, They do that to my other stuff. But I'm starting to see things that I posted are just completely gone. People tell me that they can't comment on things anymore, and I'm not the one who deleted it. Uh, so that's a minor annoyance, but it's not going to stop us or hold us back. It's to be expected. Uh, I think a lot of people have said in the past, and a, a few military people say, uh, you're, you know you're over the target when you start catching flack. So uh, that being said, we're going to do our best to continue getting the word out and uh, doing an advanced schedule notice of the types of topics or guests, special guests that we will be having uh, to appear on Piercing the Veil. And in that regard, today's show is a guest, a special guest show with a special topic. Uh, my wife, Amy Elizabeth Tullis, will be on. And so in a way, uh, it, it is a little self-serving, you know, because we're talking about my child and uh, my partner and, um, and certain topics regarding uh, viewpoints that we hold together, such as not vaccinating your children, uh, teaching your children to be uh, self-sufficient self and independent from an early age, uh, partnering with them instead of parenting, all sorts of other things that we're going to get into. And who better to hear it from than the person who spends 23 hours a day with a baby uh, and never leaves her side and constantly provides uh, a very healing and, and loving space for a child to grow up in this fucked up shitty world. So uh, just real quick, before we get into that and introduce the guest and bring her on, uh, a few current events. It uh, would appear that QAnon is really dropping some big things lately. Uh, they're actually going after people. And a few, a few weeks from now, I think we're actually going to see some indictments unsealed. I've been waiting for a long, 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 long time for that to start popping off. At least six plus months or more. And I believe I will go ahead and say it that in the next few weeks to a month, that you're going to see some pretty big movement with regards to people not only being fired, which we're seeing already, but also having some issues uh, criminally and people losing their positions of power. So that's great. I see the structure collapsing around us as we speak, and it's really more and more important every single day that we go by to try to formulate a plan, an action plan, for 
bringing your local communities together in an actionable and positive way, something that will breed self-sufficiency and uh, self-reliance and independence from uh, electrical and uh, energy type uh, sources such as gas and so on and so forth. So that's really what I've been focusing on in the background. I know Corey's on board with me and a few other people are on board and making that happen. Uh, we're working through the creation of a church and an incorporated religious assembly in order to make that happen. And we're getting into the phase of preparation, marketing, uh, and a cohesive campaign to start raising some funds. So that's what's happening in the background. If you see us from time to time do a rerun on the show at last minute, it's because I've either had an emergency client call, I've got some work I'm doing that's really important, I'm either traveling or I'm working on what we just talked about. So that being said, I think we're pretty much caught up on all the current events and things like that. I just want to jump over to Corey and see how you're doing, Corey. And then from there, we'll bring Amy in and we'll start the show. I'm well, man. Everything is, uh, everything is everything. It's good to be here again. And looking forward to today's uh, topic. Yeah, excellent. It's something that I uh, obviously have a personal interest in, a vested interest, is uh, seeing my my children and uh, my progeny grow to be powerful and self-sufficient and make positive change in this or impact in this world, especially with the state of affairs that we have now. And I know that Amy, as my partner and, and loving wife shares the same vision. And so with no further ado, let's go ahead and jump the show over to her and welcome Amy onto the show. Amy, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, thanks for finally coming on. I know we've been talking about this for a while and how exactly to structure it. And I think the best way that we agreed on is, is to have you come on and speak about your experiences from conception, you know, the life changes and choices that you made, sacrifices from conception to birth, uh, the actual natural birthing, home birthing experience you went through, we can get into that. And uh, just some of the general philosophy that we share together on how to raise a little baby Buddha in a uh, in a world that desperately needs more of them. All right. Well, yeah, so uh, let, yeah, let me ask you real quick, if I could, uh, what exactly does being a mother mean to you? I mean, generally speaking, what does that mean to you or... What's what do you hold most important in your heart and your mind when it comes to uh, thinking about how you can be the best mother that you possibly could be? Well, being a mother to me is everything. It is my gateway to moving on to the next dimension and going back home to my full family. Um, I see being a mom as one of the most powerful things that a soul could do in the world. And I just hold the whole thing close to my heart, the whole process, the ups, the downs, the shadows that it shows, and the light that it brings. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And, you know, anybody who knows you can definitely tell that's, I mean, it may not have started out as your apparent mission in life, but you're definitely on the right track when it comes to motherhood. Uh, I can tell it's a primary motivating factor and mission in in your life. And like you said, returning to your soul family requires that you complete all your missions and and learn and grow in the way that you need to. And I feel that I'm, I'm in agreement with you and many others who have stated that uh, having a child and raising a child is one of the most important things that you can do on this planet. I mean, obviously, that's self-evident. You know what I mean? Just for, in terms of 
keeping the population alive and keeping the species going. But even deeper than that, I really think that at some point we've all been a mother to somebody or multiple people. And in fact, it, it would appear, it seems generally that in your life, a lot of the people you interact with, you feel as if you'd been a mother to them or they have been to you in, uh, in a past life, if you will. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Excellent. My mom and I often talk about how we've been connected for many lifetimes, and I definitely feel like I was my mom's mom once. I, I agree with you on the point that I think everybody has. We've done everything under the sun. Yeah. So then it's not, it's not so unnatural to suggest or presume that, you know, the little ones are really teachers. Instead of us, you know, we do hold the custodial role, the caretaker role, the protection from danger, the obvious common sense raising a child. Don't let them poke themselves, stab themselves, cut themselves, fall on things, have things fall on them, eat things, put small things in their mouth for choking. We get all of that part. <laughs> I mean, we get all that stuff, and we're constantly watching for that. But everything else that occurs is really a lesson for us. You know what I mean? And in my personal experience, it's just a constant array of lessons in patience, neutrality, unconditional love, and a role model of ship, if you will. Uh, I'm not sure that's even a word, but being a role model. And yeah. that's really what one of the biggest challenges for me is to is to focus on learning and not thinking that just because I'm a fully grown adult that I can't have anything to learn from a baby because believe me, there's a lot that you can learn from having a child, especially if you take the path that you did, which was natural mothership. I mean, we're talking no vaccines, breastfeeding constantly. You're always with the baby. You're co-sleeping. When she wakes up in the middle of the night, you run in there and you give her the boob, take her back to sleep. Um, we really haven't taken any shortcuts. And when I say we, I mean you because you've done most of the work. But we really haven't taken any shortcuts, and I think that's really important to note when you look at what our daughter has done and accomplished and achieved and, and the milestones that she's just sailed past. You know, oh, at six months, they should be able to do this. You know, three months old, she's doing that. Um, so let's, let's get into some of these things. Before we do, I want to ask, like, maybe what comes to mind as your biggest challenge to date so far? Is it a lack of sleep? Is it trying not to get frustrated at little things, or what do you really think was your biggest challenge as a, not just a mother, but as a natural mama? So all the things that come into account with that path, if you could describe that for us. Okay, one of my biggest challenges now is finding that balance between all aspects of my life. The transition between being a mom for me was honestly pretty difficult because I went from having all of my time for the self. And then I went to a space where I was giving all my time to a little, little person. <laughs> but it's difficult for me being a natural mama because it takes a lot of more time, I think. It takes more commitment and what's the word? Just work, I suppose, work. Um, yeah. Making time for the self, making time for you, my partner, making time for my career and a baby. That's been one of my most difficult ones. So if there's any new moms or seasoned moms listening, uh, I don't know. Um, I, feel, I feel for you. <laughs> It's something, it's something you definitely have to either meet 
and face head on or let it break you down. Uh, it's similar to, you know, what I experienced of you when we went through the sleep phase of newborn baby, always needing to be, you know, every 30 minutes waking you up and you're sitting upright in a chair trying to fall asleep and keep getting woken up and all sorts of crazy shit. And you were sleep depraved or deprived for at least two, three months um, with all the stuff that was happening. So with that being what it was, the, the thing that it really still came down to was how different it was for you to not have your time in your own control or being able to use it for yourself. And what I mean by that is now, I mean, what you have maybe two, three hours of the day when she's not sleeping, you know, or actually <laughs> during her naps is essentially the only times that you really have to yourself to sit down and, and just like relax and not even have to think about anything. You know, everybody has that moment, whether you're pooping or chopping vegetables or cooking or whatever the hell it is you're doing that gets you in the zone and you just don't think about anything. I think a lot of us take that feeling and that ability to have that time for granted. So uh, thank you for describing that as one of your biggest challenges because I'm sure a lot of people would agree with you. Um, well, let's talk about a little bit, if we, if we will, uh, what we did differently as the birthing process. I mean, we had a, a home birth that was quiet, secluded. Um, we set up a little a little crystal grid with you know some pillows and everything um, and held the intention that it would be an easy, smooth birth. And, you know, just little things that we did differently. Uh, we'll talk about what we did after the birth, but if you could please describe the birth process for you, because I know a lot of people uh, have to make the decision. Do I go to the hospital? Do I stay at home? Do I take the epidural? Do I not? You know, do I do it naturally with no drugs? All those types of things are really a repeating pattern in a lot of new mothers-to-be uh, when they voice their concerns. So if you will, please just describe the actual birthing process in the best way that you can remember. I know it's almost been a year, but just do your best if you could. Okay. The birthing process for me was all dependent on me. Um, I believe that for most women, unless you have like specific medical issues, it's mainly mental. Um, I'm sorry. I honestly just heard my baby crying, so I'm a little, um, she's all right, though. Yeah, and if you have to leave at any point during the interview, we understand. Corey and I can pick it up from there. Uh, we prepared for that in advance, and it's totally understandable. Uh, you can just call back in when you need to. Uh, but for now, if she's fine and just hanging out with, with your mother, um, just just recap a little bit. You know, how long did it take? Uh, what were you feeling? Did you have any concerns beforehand? And then they disappeared when it happened. How, how did that go down for you? All right, the whole birthing process I think took probably the whole day. I woke up with a little tiny bit of cramp, but I honestly didn't think I was in labor. Um, I was feeling very excited because. I knew that my feelings would dictate how this was going to go. So I was really committed to having the right mind space and creating the right environment for myself to stay in that mind space. And luckily, I had a fantastic partner that enabled me to do that as well. Um, ooh. 
I'm actually kind of going back and remembering, and I feel like all this energy coming to me, it was um, a really super-duper powerful experience. I became a literal channel, I feel, between heaven and earth. And it's like I was in my body the whole time, but I was also nowhere near that room that I was having that baby in because... I had to reach up to the sky, I guess, and bring her down. And thankfully, she helped me. She did most of the work, I think. So um, Something that we did so, differently, though, was whenever she came out, she was still in her bag, basically. Um, so we decided that the best thing to do would be to keep her placenta and cord attached. For many reasons, one being that we felt that it was part of her. That wasn't really our decision to make for her. We felt that it would fall off naturally whenever her body and spirit decided it wanted to get rid of it. And it was done using the power that is still in it because there is so much power in that placenta. Uh, The hospitals, when you go to them today, they cut it right off, like two minutes. And I think that you can ask for it to be... A little longer than that, but I don't believe they allow you to have a lotus birth in the hospital. But I think that's yeah, the most way. Not without special circumstances. And what's even worse is that the DNA samples that are taken from the hospital, whether that's the entire cord and placenta um, as it's discarded or whatever, it's actually stored. Those samples are stored, and there's a few researchers that have found that the Vatican is making a claim on the DNA and the biological form of almost every single person in the planet uh, through various hospitals in various countries, which are considered ports of entry, uh, dry dock ports, by which babies are birthed upon the, the sea of commerce or the waters. It gets real, real, real deep, but that's a whole other topic for another story. So let me, let me compliment what you said there with my experience, because I was there. I hand-delivered. Uh, you did most of the work. Jasmine did a lot of the work as well, which is our baby. Um, yeah, she was. She was. Um, so the, the, pro- the whole process took within a time span of like 16 hours, right? You woke up, like you said, you had the pre-contraction, you know, mm-hmm. the weird pains and stuff like that that didn't really hurt too bad. And then all of a sudden around 7 or so or 6.30 or so at, at night, then you started having some real it – like it, it, it started. I remember I was cooking, and then you, you called from the other room. You said, hey, it's starting. It's happening. <laughs> so, like, so I like stopped what I was doing. I came in there and got everything ready. And so then we, for the next few hours from about 7.30 to 9.30-ish or so, you were having some steady, uh, consistent contractions and surges, if you will. And that's what yeah. we were thinking of them as. We were actually not trying to push. You were just letting the surges push naturally. That's a big thing, I think, that helped you besides walking around and doing whatever you wanted to do. The freedom yeah. to do whatever you wanted to do, I think, is not something a lot of mothers will get. And there is some semblance of that in a uh, birthing center with regards to you know that compared to a hospital. But it's still not the same. So I think a, a lot of it had to do with the fact that you were really totally in energetic alignment before the whole thing started. You're like, I'm ready for this to be smooth, easy, quick, and safe, no complications, and to have a divine birth. And that's yeah. exactly what you did. Um, I noticed that you were competent and coherent until right about 9.45-ish when the surges started getting close together. 
stronger and she dropped a little bit and actually dropped down into the canal, the birth canal, which you told me that you felt. And then from there, it was a matter of just trying to pass her head. And the passing of the head or the crowning was like when you described you were there but not there. That's when I believe they've done a pain measurement on average. There's like the human body can tolerate only so much pain before it fucking blacks out or does something crazy. And most women go through a higher uh, ratio of pain than what the body can tolerate. And the reason they can do that is they're in a primal uh, not hypnotic, but a transcendent state. They're they're accessing the superconscious and overcoming, while still in the body and still functional, they're overcoming the pain receptors and everything that's happening. And, of course, obviously, there's still pain involved, but it becomes this weird, I can't speak for you on how it felt for you, but it seemed to be what I was showing, seeing you experience. It was like this weird, transcendent surges of pain but knowledge you know this like primal knowledge that you knew that your body knew what to do like you trusted your body and you were just letting it do that and sure enough um after about 15 or 20 more minutes then her head crowned and then uh she was still in the bag which is a sign of a healer apparently around the world in many different cultures and she definitely exhibits the signs of a healer so she popped out i hand delivered her in my own two hands um the bag popped once she got out finally, and she opened her eyes. I don't know if you remember this. I don't think you could see it, but she opened her eyes by herself and started trying to take her own breath by herself. And that was just amazing to me because that's not supposed to happen on in many cases. So I uh, sucked the stuff out of her nose with my with my mouth because I didn't trust the little thing to work, the little squeezy sucker thing. And that was it. She didn't cry. She didn't do anything. No crying, no upsetness, no nothing. And we left her on your tummy, and you got to hang out with her until the placenta and the cord came all the way out. And then we wrapped that with the help of a few friends and some herbs and a a towel and such. And when that occurred, um, we left it on for about four or five days because it has all the vital night, excuse me, um, iron and nutrients and psychedelic, you know, the DMT that's still in there that was helping her. Um, her brain function and build itself uh, properly. So I, I really believe that we experienced a divine birth, and I'm glad that we were on the same page because I think a, a real big part of it is both parents have to be on the same page with their wants and wishes before, during, and after birth. Would you agree with that, Amy? Yes, and I'd like to expand on that too a little. If I go ahead, um, <clears throat> if. I believe that if women are in a space that they can, having a loving partner there to help them is a huge catalyst for having a birth that goes well. Just, you know, we talked about it beforehand, and we wanted this, uh, the birth to be like a, a sexual experience, honestly, because making the child is a sexual experience, and having a child is also a sexual experience. We did something maybe a little avant-garde, but we uh, we hugged a lot. We kissed a lot. There was clitoral stimulation that really helped with the contract or the surges, contractions, whichever. Mm. Um, having that balance of pain and pleasure was awesome, and it made the birth really awesome. Which is crazy because you see on TV, and they do this on purpose to. They make the birth out to be this horrible, scary experience. Women are on the table screaming and ah, so angry. And I was honestly 
in pain, yes, but in a very loving, safe environment where it was it was just exactly what I think a child would need coming into the earth, having the, that energy around of love and calm and gratefulness. It just starts them out great for an awesome life. Yeah. I agree, and I think it did. It did go down perfectly, in just the way that we intended it to. Um, let me let's move into. So now we described the birth. Um, you sort of talked about what it meant to you before and after when you were a mother, like what your biggest sacrifices were. We can get yeah. a little bit more into that. But let's have Corey say something, or maybe ask a few questions of you of your experience or whatever he wants to say, and then maybe we can jump or segue over into. Uh, you know, like cloth diapering, breastfeeding, and co-sleeping, which are big considerations for new mamas after the birth. Yes, let's. I'm excited to hear from Corey. Yeah. Well, I I just want to congratulate you guys again, and uh, and uh, you specifically, Amy. Kudos to you for doing all the heavy lifting so far. Uh, um, did you guys have a water birth? I was in the shower for a little while because the water helped for some reason. Yeah. Um, but no, we didn't. I didn't have it in the tub. I had it bending over a couch <laughs> in a living room. Okay. So you were upright. I mean, she was basically. On her knees in prone position, holding her yeah. arms and head onto the couch, facing yes. it. And then. Um, and then she, re I believe you rearranged into a reclining position once you started crowning. And then, um, once we saw the, the, the sack or whatever, uh, and the top of the head, then that was when she sort of leaned back a little bit more and I held her hips open right. and I actually helped. I spread her, um, her yoni and everything properly so that. I actually helped so there would be no tearing. And there was like maybe one right. tiny little tear, I think, Amy, or something, barely anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, barely anything. Small, uh, I was going to say I'm a pretty small person, so I was I was surprised that I was able to push a good-sized baby out of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've heard, it, I, I've heard it to, uh, I've, I've heard it compared to shitting out a bowling ball. <laughs> yeah, in terms at, in terms of the at potential one point, pain level. No, going back. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's it's uh, it's fantastic. And I was I was I was curious about the water birth. I've heard a lot about it. Uh huh. Um, you know, in my personal situation, I have not uh, I have not fathered any children. Uh, but I'm. I'm fascinated with the whole process. Uh, it's my intention to be a father. I kind of always knew I was going to be an old daddy. And so there you go. Um, I also have a really amazing story. I had a friend of mine in New York. Uh, uh, a couple of friends of mine. The woman went into labor rather uh, probably somewhat unexpectedly maybe a week or so early. And uh, this was in Brooklyn. She called 911. And uh, she said that she went into labor in her house by herself. Her husband was not there. No one was there. Oh, wow. Time. 
and uh, she gave birth to the baby in a kneeling, you know, kneeling upright position, ostensibly, uh, as opposed to on, on her back, right, in stirrups. Oh, God, yeah. Which, which always which always seemed kind of weird to me. Just just the just the uh, just the geometry of that, and like, and doesn't really doesn't really make sense to me. It's like defying gravity. You know, I read in one of my birthing books because I read the whole pregnancy. I was just nose in a book all the time. I feel. <laughs> yeah, that's an important thing you should tell them as well, Amy. How much you read and how much you studied and prepared that was helpful. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it really was. You gotta prepare yourself. I, I feel like everybody knows and feels more comfortable when they know what's going on, or at least like know the blueprint of it. Mm. Yeah. But anyway, what I was gonna say was those stirrups actually came about from a creepy, creepy doctor, I believe. I don't know his name. Fact check me on this, but he actually was turned on by the birthing process. So mm. he called in for stirrups, and he was behind a wall and watched women give birth. Very creepy, and, yeah. Yeah, Most things that don't make sense in our society or backwards were started by fucked up people like that, and everybody just blindly accepts that that's the way it should be, and that's a big problem. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're you're under the assumption that uh, the best position for a woman to be is to give birth is on her back. Uh, then, yeah, you know, put your feet in stirrups. No one has to hold them up. The mother doesn't have to hold them up. Whatever. Um, but nonetheless, uh, I think that's like a. Uh, it's not typical everywhere. You know, I think the sort of uh, the sort of vertical positioning that you took on at first. Makes a lot more sense. You're using gravity, right? When you're on your back, it seems like you're pushing. You're 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 actually almost pushing upward. Yeah. Somewhat first. Have, have so you guys? Anyway. There's another consideration here too. Have you guys heard of the squatty potty? It is a real big marketing ploy and real big. Product. Yeah. Okay, what they're saying is actually correct. The muscles down there have a lateral band that wraps around not only the colon, but also the uterus abdominum, uh, abdomen area. Right. And so when giving birth in a uh, sitting, an actual sitting position and on your back, you're losing the power of gravity, like you said, because if you look at any fucking animal anywhere, they never lay on their back. They're always standing <laughs> or hunched. Um, or on their side... Sometimes they're on their side, but they're never on their back. And right. and if you look, uh, when you are able to get into the kneeling position, it's it's like the inverse of a squatting position. And so whether you're mm-hmm. squatting to poop or you're kneeling to give birth, um, the not being in the center sitting like 90-degree position is really helpful. And I noticed, mm-hmm. just me being the observer there, I noticed that a lot of the time she was not ever laying on her back. She was either standing, mm-hmm. squatting on the side, in the bathtub, um, on her knees, on the side, all sorts of different things. And I would say this from what I read, and correct me if I'm wrong, Amy, because you're better read on this and you're more experienced, obviously. From what I read, uh, the water birth is not really the most ideal. What's ideal is to get through the first couple of hours of, um, of labor 
And then when you're almost ready to, when they start getting closer together, get into the water to accelerate that and then get back out mm-hmm. and then have, and people have reported they got into the water for a few hours or, and they got back out. And Amy was only in the water for like 30 minutes, maybe less. Mm-hmm. And she got back out and it was just fucking gravy from there. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. yeah. I thought amazing. out partly because of breathing, the room got pretty stuffy, but. Being able to breathe the right way gets oxygen to the baby. It's also calming to the whole body. Yeah. Yeah, pretty pretty amazing. Anyway, back to back to my friend. Um, she dropped the baby by herself before the ambulance got to the house. So like oh. twenty minutes. She broke water. She made the call, and within <laughs> twenty minutes, she dropped the baby. <laughs> oh my god. So, so, suffice to say, it looks all kinds of different ways, apparently. My mother was in labor, uh, purportedly, for 13 hours. So, uh, uh, I guess knowing my personality now, I, I probably wasn't too keen on coming back. <laughs> I had a last-minute last uh, reservations about uh, stepping foot on the planet again. But in, in any event... Um, it looks all kinds of different ways. I also, um, you know, I know, I know women who had two children. She had to have C-sections for both. Um, so, you know, as much diversity as there, as there is in body types and temperaments and things like that, I'm sure there's all different, uh, it, it looks all different ways, I suppose, but it seems... It seems really interesting that you guys, I mean, another thing that I noticed from your story, Amy, is that uh, you guys worked together. You know, you all worked as partners in the birth itself, you know. From from before, Corey. Right, right. Before the conception, even, we we actually conceived her on purpose. Right, exactly. That's another thing, too. Um, it's, it's, uh, it, it's somewhat... I mean, and, and it's a long story. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but the, the sexuality, the human sexuality, uh, for whatever reason, uh, has been massively separated out from the concept of reproduction. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I, I would say, I would just say, just to, just to sort of do, put a, a big cap on that or a cover or generality, um, it's pretty much the human sexuality is there to create and manifest, whether that's done by yourself in groups or with a partner, as were the ancient magical rites. And no, I'm not talking about satanic sex magic rituals that have perverted those rites. I'm talking about the ancient uh, oracles and sexual healers and priestesses of the temples. That was their purpose, was to create um, potentialities and outcomes and things like that. And so it, it is very much a creational vehicle, not only in the biological reproductive sense, like you mentioned, but also in the manifestation sense of manifesting one's circumstance and reality and future. And you're really doing more than just bringing another biological being in. You're contracting with what type of entity will um, harbor or inhabit that body that you're creating. 
And so Amy and I did that consciously from the beginning. Throughout the entire pregnancy, we were intending a smooth transition in birth. We held that intention for the entire birth. Right. Uh, had our ups and downs, hormone swings, little fights here and there, and scaredness and, uh, and frustrations, and so on and so forth, but the entire intention was held. And so I think that the human sexuality, I agree with you, has been separated. Um, and without going into another topic, I would just say the main purposes are to create magically using the sexual orgasm and to also invoke a spiritual power to inhabit or to agree to inhabit a body. And that's so either you have the sexual act and either a baby results from it or it doesn't. And you can get into all the different biological factors like the man's sperm's not strong enough or the woman has this genetic predisposition or blah, 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 blah. But when you cut all that shit out of the picture, it really is a matter of uh, intention and conscious effort of, of contracting with an entity or a, a powerful something or other that is agreeing to be your child in this life, agreeing to take right. on that role or form. So we did that, and I think that had, I truly believe that had a huge impact on how smooth the birth was. So right. we've talked about all that, and um, maybe now after the birth, really, if we can get into some of the things, and of course, you had the questions along the way, of course. Um, if, Amy, we can get into some of the things that you've had to do after the birth that a typical mom would take a shortcut on, not necessarily a shortcut, but take the easy way out. Like bottle feeding is an easy way out because anybody can feed your baby. You can take time out to yourself. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but in order to take a true, strict, natural path, it means that you are your, your baby's provider every single day until they stop breastfeeding. So. That was a real big thing in our relationship. Our time factor that you mentioned earlier was really crunched by the period right after birth when, and remaining to this day, um, although it's gotten better, when you have to be with the child 24-7 almost. So if you can maybe describe what you went through, Amy, with the breastfeeding, the co-sleeping, some concerns you had, some things that you learned, some tricks that you were doing to maybe help some other mothers as they're listening to this. Because up until now, we basically just described our intent, our experience, maybe some tips and tricks or some actual practical things that you're doing on a daily basis that I see you doing. Can you maybe give us some, uh, some detail into that, and then we'll get back to Corey. All right. Um... Ooh, where do I start? I let her explore. That's one of my tricks or loving tricks, I guess. Um, I try to keep her out of carriers now that she's able to walk and or crawl as much as I can. Let her explore in a safe environment. That means baby-proofing your home. That doesn't mean that she's not going to get hurt because many babies are going to fall and get hurt. But I think in that is a beautiful lesson, kind of getting off track, but I feel like this is important to state. I feel like we all have so much to learn from kids, little babies to whatever age, because they don't give up. Um, they don't put limitations on themselves at all. When they're learning to walk, they fall, they get right back up, and they don't judge themselves or give a fuck about what anybody else is thinking because they don't even have that to think about. <laughs> they're just thinking about being. And, yeah, we can learn a lot from just watching them be because that's what they're here. Just by being here, they're raising the Earth's vibration. 
and they're giving a beautiful gift to Gaia, Earth. And I think that is all of our purpose purposes, too. I think we all contracted to come here to help. Yeah. And I think my daughter's super beautiful, because mm-hmm. we have this. <laughs> yeah, I, I like what, how you described that, them just being. Um, what I really see is that babies and toddlers are, are really, really invested in the present moment. That literally is all there is, the present, and that's all they're thinking of. And that is a perfect example of how we can learn from these kids. It's an actual practical example of just observe that behavior and try to replicate it or embody it in your life. Um, and, and despite the challenges that you have to go through when they're first born, you know, like, uh, what do you do with diapering, Amy, and, and breastfeeding all the time and the co-sleeping things? Like, those are the types of stuff that yeah. I think you really had to figure out on your own because I didn't have any area that I could really help you other than being there and bringing you things and bringing you water and watching her when she, you go to the bathroom and all sorts of crazy uh, last-minute things that come up. So if you could maybe get a little bit into like natural diapering, breastfeeding, co-sleeping, those types of things, just try to remember your experience and express it in a way that would help some other uh, mothers with tips or tricks or whatever you want to do, and then we'll go from there. Okay. Um, Being a natural mom, it means that you you can't just accept things blindly. it means that you research and take um, a greater interest in how you raise your child and what impact your actions on your child will have on that being, you know? So I did a lot of research, yes, on um, first breastfeeding. I didn't really like the idea of some factory making what I was feeding my baby first, so I believe very heavily on breastfeeding. And it's sad to say that most mothers just are not able to do that because of they have to work or other reasons. And that is just fine. If you have to give your baby formula because you're also trying to provide for them, I, that's great. No, like, judgment there. But I believe that breastfeeding is the way to go because it builds There's that a difference. bond. Yeah, it builds that bond with the child. Um, they feel more secure and safe. The nutritional value is of utmost importance of what they're getting at first because you're building their cells. Their DNA is being um, fueled by this magical boob milk. (laughs) Um, Which gives them immunities, by the way. It helps build their immunities and their, their bacteria in their stomach is all from the breast milk. The breast milk is giving them everything they need to start forming and activating things. Yes, exactly. Another thing that I researched was co-sleeping, or um, I and felt cutting out a little bit. Can can you maybe check your? You're cutting out a little bit. Can you hear me now? Hello. Yeah. Hello. You still with hey. us? Yeah. Yes, of course. It's really bad. I can't hear you. Corey, are you hearing the same thing I'm hearing? No, I can hear her. Okay. I'm just going to continue and hope that the... Now you're back. Can you hear us, too? Yes. Okay, continue, please. I apologize for the interruption. Um, Co-sleeping. I really didn't feel right with putting my baby in a crib. If I was a little baby, I would want to be right next to my mama because... 
I can't defend myself, and she's my source of love. So I felt that I, it was very I think important. maybe you're talking too loud, Amy, into the speakerphone or something, uh, because it's just, uh, can I, Corey, can I get you on this? I'm sorry for interrupting, but this, I can't hear anything you're saying at all, and it's extremely frustrating because I'm trying to follow. Corey, are you hearing any static from her end, or is this just me no. and my mic, or what's going on? No, she sounds okay to me. Corey? I guess we yeah, lost him. No, no, I'm here. Can you hear me? <laughs> Jesus. Can you hear me, okay, Amy? well, uh, continuing on, I guess, uh, Amy, if you can maybe back up away from the speakerphone and don't talk directly into it, don't hold it up to your face uh, okay. and see if that makes a difference. Because you, you came back clearly for a second there, and then all of a sudden it was staticky again. You cannot hear that, you. It's at your end, because I can hear Corey fine. Corey can hear me fine. But you okay, can't hear I'm going to stop. I'm going to I'm going to nip this in the bud. Amy, will you please call back? Uh, just hang up and call back. Corey, wherever you're at, if you're listening, call back, please. I'm going to take over the show for right now because this is not fair to the listeners, um, and it's not fair. It's just not fair to to try to do all this. So call back, please. We'll continue and pick up off uh, where where you left off. I want to say a few things while we're we're having Amy call back and trying to pick up Corey wherever he went off to. Um. I really do feel that it, it's important for people to realize that the formula that's uh, being provided, there is an evil agenda on this planet, and it touches many different realms and domains, and, and a lot of it is geared towards depopulation, depopulating the human uh, race down to a certain base level. You can say it's conspiracy theory, but it's been proven time and time again with various different organizations who have these crazy, uh, you can't understand how fucked up these policies are, these vaccine damage policies and all these other things, unless you really understand that it's intentional and it's by design. So the formula is a part of that. There's countless stories after stories after stories and articles and events and transactions that show that most formula is either fake and or toxic and or doesn't provide the nutritional needs of your baby. So, I mean, I do agree with Amy on one hand that if you have work and blah, 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 you know, maybe you have to work some alternative thing out, but at least choose wisely and do what you can. A lot of people won't have the ability financially, but do whatever it takes to come up with a creative solution or get some creative su support because either breast milk, whether it's your own or somebody else's, it's, it's so crucial to the baby's body and their development. It is so crucial to how they are able to be cognizant and reactive in their environment and their motor skills, everything. It's very important. So the nutritional value is a real big thing that we always focused on um, when, during the pregnancy and then also the breastfeeding. That's why we chose to do it that way. And it is precisely because we feel so strongly about how good breast milk, breast milk is for our baby that Amy has chosen to sacrifice and give up her time for almost a year now uh, of literally being with the baby 24-7. And I'm there. I help where I can. But literally there every single day, all the time, because the baby cannot go without the breast milk when, when you know the baby needs it. So let's go ahead and do a check here. I, I hear some other stuff on the line. Is Corey back on? Corey, are you with us? Yeah. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I don't know what happened there. Some major stuff. Uh, and what about Amy? Amy, do we have you back? Yes. You sound much better now. I apologize we had to do that. I'm going to stop talking, and if you can please continue. You were talking about co-sleeping. You said something about safety, and that's all I heard. So if you could please continue. 
Yes, co-sleeping. I felt it was of utmost importance to sleep with my baby um, just because it protects them. <laughs> I don't know. Whenever I go to sleep, I imagine like a light ball around us. Um, it's a, I use it as a form of astral protection, I suppose. And I, of course, I ask her spirit or if it's all right for with her if I put it around her too. And usually her response is yes. But one time I actually was sleeping with her and I woke up and I, I think you can attest to this, Jordan. I felt that I just needed to put some protection around myself. So I imagined the ball and then... When I went to go put some protection around her, I felt that a ball was already there. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm sorry. This thing is happening again. Corey, while I have you yeah. here, Corey, you're still there? Yeah, yeah can you hear me? Okay. Can Are you, you hearing any static whatsoever when Amy's talking? No. I can. Okay, so it must be me. This is fucking bullshit. Amy, please continue then. If nobody else is hearing what I'm hearing, I'm just going to shut the fuck up and let you continue, and I'm going to try to keep up with what's happening. This shit happens constantly. It's not my microphone. I promise, guys, it is not my mic. Something with my connection. I've tried landlines, fucking Wi-Fi, been in different uh, places. It's just something. I don't know what the fuck it is. Maybe somebody's fucking with me. It's really infuriating. Um, and so with that being said, I'm going to stop and hopefully I'll be able to hear you guys even talking to me because I can't right now. All I hear is wah, 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 and half sentences and half words. So Amy, I apologize again. Uh, it's so shitty that this is happening, but we're just going to pick up, just continue to talk and I'll just, you know, you just get into co-sleeping, uh, breastfeeding, diapering and interaction, ex exploration, all the things you want to talk about today. And we'll go from there. All right, I'm going to move on to um, cloth diapering. I researched that pretty heavily. Uh, there's this great book called Diaper Free. I don't know the author, but if you're a new mom wanting to cloth diaper and you're listening, go look up Diaper Free. Anyway, um, I believe in cloth diapering for many reasons. One, because the chemicals in mainstream diapers like Huggies and whatever the fuck else are toxic. I truly believe that. They're just toxic. They're, the cotton that they're made out of is pesticide ridden and bleached to I don't even know. And I, I realized I wasn't comfortable with putting that sort of thing on my baby and I chose cloth diapering also for the environmental impact that it has. Um, cloth diapering consists of like a diaper pad and a cover that goes along with it, and all you have to do is wash it, and that's it. But it very much reduces on diapers and landfills and just all around earthly pollution because when you use cloth diapers, they're... Aren't people growing cotton and putting pesticides all over it, totally poisoning the earth? It's a great alternative in my eyes. And as a natural mama, I urge more moms or all moms, really, to really research the impact that some of the mainstream or uh, actions that aren't really even questioned look, look at them things such as um, 
co-sleeping and diapering and so on and so on. Um, I also want to talk about um, the importance of communicating with your baby, being present with them, giving them your time. And again, it's pretty sad because most moms just aren't able to spend as much time with their babies. And I feel that just being there with them, which I'm with her all day, um, just being with their with them makes a whole lot of difference on their security, on their um, learning, because they're constantly watching you, constantly. <laughs> Even when you don't think they are, they're watching you. They're learning from you. Uh, you are their example. And that's why I take my job so seriously, because I am her example of what a functional, self-sufficient, loving person is supposed to be. Um, I chose also not to use formula and solely to breastfeed and not even pump because of the energetics behind it. I think the mind state I'm in whenever I'm breastfeeding has really big, big impact on what she's consuming, energy and physical breast milk as well. Well, it's an interaction too, Amy, because every time she's breastfeeding, she's playing with her other hands, she's grabbing your necklace, she's looking at you and smiling or laughing, she does little things. It's very comforting, close connection thing. Um, it, it really can't be overstated how important the skin-to-skin -skin contact in all regards is for new babies and toddlers. So that's where the co-sleeping comes into play. The co-sleeping actually breeds intelligence. It breeds a resistance to, to disease. It breeds immunity for the baby because it's a natural state. Of it. They're in a, a, a harmonious biological rhythm or equilibrium, if you want to say that. And so it really is much more than the difference between, you know, oh, it's just a boot. It's coming out of a boob or it's coming from a bottle. It's totally different with regards to energetics and even even just pumping is not the same because the milk is not coming from the breast there's no contact between the baby suckling and and things like that so i really uh, you know they're developing their neuromuscular cortex skills and that really can't be done uh, on a nipple in the same way excuse me on a fake nipple in the same way as it can be done biologically with a boob so I wanted to say that, and I, I'm, I caught part of what you were talking about environmentally about the diapers, and I totally agree with you. Like, if you think about how many parents, how many times a day, throw away a poopy diaper that's bleached cotton that won't, you know, that won't biodegrade for a very, very long time, it's fucking horrible. And it's 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 horribly because the stuff that is in the landfills oftentimes somehow ends up in the ocean. Now, how the fuck it ends up in the ocean, don't ask me, but it oftentimes does. And so now you see all this sea of poopy diapers and bleach cotton and fucking plastic in the ocean, and you wonder, you know, where all that shit is coming from. It's just, it really is something that needs to be done. And the same thing with toilet paper and paper towels. I mean, there's, there's mainstream products that are the same or less cost than bleach paper towels, and they're hemp. Or they're plant-based. You know, there's plant-based bags. There's all sorts of things that we could be doing uh, to reduce that pollution. But that's another matter. Um, so we've talked about the uh, what, the space we were in during conception and afterwards during the pregnancy. We talked about the birthing process a little bit, our considerations, our concerns, our experience. We talked also, or you talked a little bit while I couldn't hear you guys, about uh, the diapering, breastfeeding, co-sleeping. 
And now uh, here we are nine months later with a child who is surpassing and exceeding all of the developmental milestones that are supposedly made for vaccinated babies who never get touched or held and are always in some form of a fucking carrier or playpen. And it's not surprising to me at all. I mean, I expected it. I expected her to be a genius because that's what we all are born naturally. We're born naturally immune. We're born naturally geniuses. And a lot of people can argue with me using fake science articles and shit. But if you really look down at the experience of humanity as, as a whole uh, population over the years, uh, especially with the advent of you know modern hygienics being implemented, it really is a safe way to raise your baby unvaccinated and breastfeeding and co-sleeping. And there might be certain exceptions here and there, but it is the general natural way. And, and anything that deviates from nature typically has to be propped up or supported externally. Nature supports itself. It's a cycle and a rhythm that supports itself. It is the ultimate concept of sustainability or a perpetual system. You look at the air and the water systems that we have that obviously are being disrupted right now, but they're still going, they're still functioning. So I don't think anybody could ever successfully argue to me or anybody else if they really get down to the logic that anything fake or, or synthetic is ever going to be better than a natural path. So what does that really leave? We're not even talking about facts here of this is better than that. We're talking about legitimate self-evident truths. Natural parenting is better than synthetic adjuncts or supplementation like bottle feeding and pumping and um, putting them down the cry it out techniques and putting them down into a pen or carrier all the time. So that being said, really what it comes down to is what level of commitment do you have to raise a fully functioning, wholesome balanced child and not impart your fucked up conditioning that was not perpetuate the cycle that we we clearly see between fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and i think that's our main concern now that jasmine is uh, is a little sponge our baby is a little sponge and and like you said watching everything that we do even when we're not looking our concern is mainly how do we improve ourselves i think this is coming straight from your mouth too when we talked earlier how do we do the best that we can to improve ourselves in the eyes of our children, set a good path uh, as a guide and a teacher, but also be a student as well. Do you guys agree with that that principle or that premise? Oh yeah, absolutely. And that that speaks to uh, that speaks to what you all were saying as to how you prepared yourselves uh, to be parents and how you addressed. Uh, the whole process to begin with, right? You took it on from the beginning. It was an intentional, uh, an intentional partnership between yourselves and between this entity that was going to be coming in and manifesting uh, through the two of you in Amy's body. And um, you know, it was interesting what what you what you were saying before you mentioned earlier about yeah, sometimes pregnancies happen, right? Some uh, right, oftentimes. Um, I don't know what the percentages are, but I would imagine uh, it's probably a very small percentage of acts of coitus that are that have the intention of conception. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we're going to get yeah. together and we're going to conceive a child, right? I would say it's, it can't be more than one-tenth of, uh, any, uh, of, the, uh, 
of, of, of the sexual unions that are going on at any given time on the planet. <laughs> it's just that that intention's not there. So, yeah, it's an automatic process, right? We are biological uh, machines, if you will, right? And certain things happen automatically. Uh, but how much more powerful, in my view, is that process when there's the intention of the couple behind that, as you say, magical, energetic act of coitus leading up to uh, conception. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I really have to, and we'll get to Amy here in a second, but I really have to commend her and commend Amy on publicly for for the commitment that it took and that she still exhibits um, to maintaining that intention, maintaining the premise of natural motherhood, maintaining the premise of not conditioning the child, maintaining the the behavior that's required and the and the output or service energy that's required to be there when the child needs you and not be there when they want to explore. Uh, and that's a really big thing. You know, I just talked about, I wrapped it up basically real nice and neat in a little package that says natural motherhood is all hands down in every single way better than fake and synthetic supplementation of motherhood uh, actions like breast, like feeding and caring and sleeping and all these basic things. Nobody can, well, I guess people can argue that, but you're never going to come to anything other than the fact that nature always wins. Okay, so that being what it is, it really is just left down to the parents to make a to set an intention and commit to fulfilling that intention and maintaining that commitment no matter how many sacrifices need to be made, which a lot of people do in many different ways for their children. I don't discount that, but really, it takes a, it takes a very strong person to give up it, everything about themselves and all of their time every day for the entirety of however long Jasmine or the baby is going to. Um, is, is going to breastfeed, and then we'll have some, some breathing room at that point where other people can help by just feeding regular food. So I, I commend you for that, Amy, and I applaud you for that, and I, and I want to bring to the listeners, forefront of the listeners' minds, that to be a natural mama or parent or it, versus the easy ways out, it really just boils down to commitment. That's it. No excuses. Do whatever it takes. Change your careers, even though it's scary to not have money. While you have a kid, you know, there's ways to get food and there's ways to provide for yourself. There's ways to make it happen. You know what I mean? There are ways to make it happen. And it takes you sacrificing some life comforts in order to do that. Um, but it really is something that's uh, not only worth it for you to get out of a fucking nine to five slave job. It, it's ultimately beneficial for you in the long run, even if it's scary and, and, and crazy in the short run, to do that, not only for you, but for the child. So I, I would say that there really is no excuse when it comes to a natural parenting. There is no room for excuses. And I wondered, Amy, if you felt the same way or had that same experience that no matter how you felt, there still was something that had to be done. And at the end of the day, you either had to make the choice to do it or not do it. Does that sound accurate? Yes, there is. I mean, of course, they're going to happen and you have to be gentle with yourself. But there's no room for excuses. And there's no room for fear. Um, once it's there, it affects the whole energy. And at that point, you have to notice it. And, yes, you just have to commit to the moment. Commit to being fluid and a dynamic being with your child. And recognize that and honor them for also being the same as you. Because they are. They are you, but they're individual. 
it's the biggest paradox <laughs> and honestly a huge universal joke to me. <laughs> yeah, it does. Have, it does have a sense of humor, uh, the universe there. I, and I would say this um, before we jump over to Corey and get his thoughts. It, it is really a matter of combining your intention and your commitment with your knowledge base knowing and understanding what BPA is and how often it's lined in all these different plastic things, knowing that most uh, bottles of water, you know, oh, I shouldn't feed my baby tap water, but I'm going to go get bottles of water. Most bottles of water are tap water. They're from municipal sources. And in fact, they have more chemicals than tap water because of the leaching that occurs from the containers. And then you've got the diaper considerations that we talked about. You've got the formula issues as well. But then you also have the fact that during conception and during pregnancy, the mother is toxic in most cases because they're applying mascara or makeup or toxic chemicals to the body or showering in chlorine and showering without a filter. So there are little things that I think a lot of people miss in the step or path to natural motherhood that would give their baby an advantage or an edge. And in our case specifically, not to toot my own horn or Amy's own horn, but she did all of those things and was committed to being chemical-free and chemical body burden-free, if you will, and free from toxicity for the most part during conception, during the, uh, the, the pregnancy, the term, and then during and after the birth as well. And, and it's very much a, a being vigilant and, and searching out uh, the information required to keep your baby safe, uh, very much so. It's, it's a knowledge-based base issue. And it takes not only the commitment and intent as a whole, as a parent or a partner, if you will, but it also takes the commitment and intent to research what you need to research and to accept the things that you need to accept and to change the world and habits that you need to change in order to be consistent and be in alignment with what you're really trying to do here. And I wanted to say that's something that Amy has done almost to the T and perfectly and I, I really believe that combined with our genes, combined with our intent, combined with what we wanted to, uh, what level of entity we were asking to come in and, and join in this little body, all of that combined together presents itself as a wonderful, smart, sweet little girl who's jumping past all the standard milestones that are set for babies, uh, you know, that we communicate with her constantly. You know, she almost she basically potty trained herself with regards to peeing uh, with a few accidents here and there. She potty trained herself uh, at about a month. You know what I mean? And 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 we're communicating her with sign with her using sign language, baby sign language, and stuff like that. And she's communicating back, and she's mimicking words and, and sentences and phrases, and understands sentences and immediately does something like you say, "Hey, Jasmine, you want to give Daddy a kiss?" And she reaches over and gives me a kiss. You know, and it, and we haven't necessarily taught her uh, exactly what a kiss is, other than a certain sign that she usually doesn't recognize. Uh, but she did that in the moment. So babies are 100% totally able to mimic and and understand and learn from their environment. And I think now that we've talked about all the other aspects leading up to this, now that uh, our baby is entering the toddler phase, I think now we come to the point where most kids are socially conditioned by the words, no, don't do that, get off of that, come over here. Corey, we've talked about this in a past show, and uh, it's just something that we are refusing to do. If we have to take something out of her mouth, we we ask her first, Jasmine, spit it out, please, and we touch a certain area of her cheeks, and she'll spit it out instead of like jamming our finger down there in a panic. You know what I mean? We know we can do that if we need to, if it comes to it. And it's there as an option, as a reservation option. 
But typically, you know, if her head's not back and she doesn't have her mouth open and the thing's not small enough and it's already back in her mouth, we don't treat it as a, you know, it is a concern and it is a danger, but it's not like a, an imminent danger. And so we don't freak out. The mm -hmm. same thing when she falls. Uh, it's a big thing for me when she falls and bumps her head on something. When she sits and sits back as, from standing and bumps her head on the side of a chair or something, and I hear her, her bump her little noggin and then she gets upset about it. That's something for me where I had to be like, okay, we need to do what we can to make a safe environment. We need to do what we can to be there in proximity, but we know that there's going to be times where she trips or bumps or sits or whatever. And like Amy said earlier, that's going to teach them even better than catching them all the time. I know that's yeah. self-explanatory, but it's very important to bring up. So now that we're at this point, I think Amy is really the only one qualified with regards to our baby to tell us and explain to other moms uh, what exactly are you doing now that she's explain, uh, exploring and playing on her own and, and you know crawling over to the windowsill and standing up and bouncing up and down and dancing, waving at all the people outside and doing little cute, goofy little things that, and developing her own little personality at a rapid pace and the visual skills and motor, uh, motor skills and visual acuity and recogni recognition and stuff like that. Now that she's getting into all that, what are some of the things that you really try to focus on when she's playing or when you're playing with her? Or, um, any, any tips and tricks that you can give us uh, on how you're helping her to explore her environment? I would really be appreciative of hearing those things. Okay. Um, unfortunately, she's been crying for, I hear her crying right now, and I'm okay. going to ask you to finish that, just the experiences that you've had with me. And I've got to go. I thank you so much for letting me be on your show. Maybe I could talk about being a mom all day long. Maybe I could come back on another time. Yeah, definitely. I would highly recommend that. Okay, cool. Uh, thank you so much. i got to go. Mm -hmm. See I love you. Thanks, Give her a squeeze for me. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, I love Amy. you very much. Okay, bye. I love you guys. Talk to bye. you soon. Good job. Great. Okay, so we expected that to happen at some point. It's past the baby's bedtime. <laughs> she, she starts, uh, or past the sleepy time phase, she starts getting tired around 6. I know to some this might seem like just an excuse for me to blab about how great my baby is and my wife is, but that's really not what we were intending to do. Uh, we're just intending to show you that the real-life example of what I experience from my child every single day that I interact with her it is is proof enough that what our what we were doing and the concepts and the principles and the things that we were holding dear and valuing uh, during the course of the conception and the pregnancy and afterwards, they work. They really work. Nature works. It takes care of itself. And if you can adjunct or or or, or build up from there instead of supplementing uh, synthetically, if you can build up with the natural patterns that are motherhood and birthing then you will have a fantastic, glorious experience, and your child will more than likely be a little bodhisattva. And our child is very much a little Buddha in the making. She, she comforts people when they're sad. She'll reach out and touch their, their, uh, their face. Amy and I have gotten into some very heated verbal arguments during the course of our marriage, um, like any other couple, about stupid little day-to-day -day things. And, and Jasmine, instead of getting upset and needing attention, will literally look at us like, are you guys done? Like, are you fucking done yet? Like, are I'm you, waiting for you, you to realize how stupid this is. 
right. Are you guys yeah, yeah. really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so she very much is a space holder, and we've seen that whenever she interacts with people in the public, she crawls around and crawls right up to people, lets them hold her. She'll lay down uh, in their arms, and she'll hug them and, and touch people's faces and look at people. She'll look right through them uh, and gaze at them. So our baby is very much a healer and a teacher already because we've given her the uh, natural ability to grow into a little personality. And she's only fucking nine months old. A nine-month-old is is surpassing all the the standards that have supposedly been set for that age set or age group. So, um, again, I know it sounds a little self-serving to have this, but I really wanted to give Amy the opportunity to come on and explain some of her uh her experiences, and I, I think that was mitigated a little bit by the fact that she was hearing Jasmine cry in the background the whole time, and, and uh, it was a little difficult. And then also the fact that my connection kept going out. It was not my headphones, apparently. It's not my mic, but my connection kept going out. Because, Corey, I don't think that you were hearing any problems, but I literally mm-hmm. could not hear one of you. And every time somebody would speak a word, I would hear half a fucking word, and then it was the most frustrating thing ever. So I apologize for that interruption, but that's where we got uh, in our show so far. And now at the end here, um, what I just prompted Amy to speak on, she obviously passed off to me, and that's what I'll speak on now. And then I'll get Corey's uh, input, and we'll close the show. But essentially what I'm seeing Amy do is refrain from restricting or, or stopping if something is not going to harm the child. And what I mean by that is, yes, it's fucking inconvenient if your kid takes a cup of water and turns it over onto the floor. But, and, but screaming at them, stopping them, and grabbing their hand and taking the cup away from their hand and saying no is something that I see a lot of parents do when we're out in public. Or you know, even smacking the kid's hand. You're traumatizing, conditioning your child. And, and second of all, your kid has no fucking concept of cause and effect now. Your kid has no concept of, of, of self-reliance in the fact that, okay, I just turned this thing upside down, and when it has water in it and goes upside down, it, it comes on to me, and it, and it makes me cold because the water is now poured all over me. And, oh, by the way, this feels wet. This feels weird. This is a new feeling. So what I see Amy do is just just take the time, the extra time that is required to clean up the fucking mess afterwards and let them have the experience. And I, I all am quite often the one cleaning and going behind the tornado that is Jasmine uh, as she explores. But <laughs> mm-hmm. off trees and ripping grass out of the ground and and petting animals a little bit too roughly, then we have to constantly try to teach her to be soft. I, all of these things are her learning experiences. What we like to have her do is um, let her squish things when she's eating her food. We'll give her a little bit to squish in her hand, and she you'll see she sits there and squishes it and smiles and squishes it some more, and then drops it on the ground and then picks it back up and looks at it and drops it on the ground and looks at it. And just have, letting your children have these basic, core, fundamental development experiences, unfettered and unrestricted, really, I truly believe, is the key to building a strong, self-empowered personality for that child to, uh, to express and grow as a, uh, in their later years as a teenager or an adult. And so that being said, my little ramble there, um, I'll, I'll say that Amy really is a master. She has become a master at allowing or creating opportunities, I should say, for Jasmine to explore her environment using all five of her senses and without repercussion and without um, going, no, 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 stop, 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 get the fuck off of that right now, that type of shit. 
So that being said, I'll take it back over to you, Cor, and get your final thoughts, and we'll just close the show and, and have her back on at another time. Right on. Well, a couple of things. Um, a lot of people have zero experience with animals. And if you've ever had experience with animals... And, uh, and the animal reproductive and nurturing process. Um, you know, I mean, I've, there's horses around here, you know, horses, cows. There's, you know, my dog had puppies in uh, October. Uh, when I was growing up, my cat, you know, my cat had a couple litters of kittens and what have you. And the one thing that I've noticed is that... Uh, we are so fucking separated from nature as human beings, at least in our in our minds, in the so in, in our social conditioning, on average, uh, you know. And this is what leads to the plastic diapers and the and the formula and the, and just the just the you know just the overall lack of of understanding ourselves as animals, as biological beings, uh, as natural beings. I just, I get, you know, this conversation just made me that much more astounded uh, by, by how, I mean, it's almost common sense, right? It's just complete, it, it's basically just the common sense of breastfeeding, for example, right? <clears throat> it's a no-brainer. Anyone who's done any research on breastfeeding knows the value of <clears throat> not only mother's milk, but also the socializing and the communication skills and the bonding and the trust-building skills that comes from the act of breastfeeding. Um, anyone who's not aware of that and who's looking to be a parent um, seems like common sense to me, but certainly it would be worth, uh, highly, highly worth it for people to investigate that and to look at the research <clears throat> and the data and the, and the science around that if you, if you need to be convinced of it. Um, one question that I wanted to uh, ask Amy, but perhaps I could I could ask you. You know, you guys talked about your preparation, right? Your preparation uh, through your work as individuals and your work as partners, and your preparation for bringing another being uh, into being on the earth. And uh, <clears throat> the one thing that, that wasn't explicitly covered was what do you do for prepare beforehand, right? In terms, of, in terms of diet, for example, right? We know that, <clears throat> we know that whatever uh, in, in uh, uh, a baby in the womb is going to be consuming whatever the mother consumes, 
right? And their DNA so, will be structured to obtain those nutrients in those levels optimally. Uh, obviously, that will change as their environment and the epigenetics changes them to adapt to their environment. But yes, right. what you're saying is true. Not only, you know, not only is it important to get the proper stuff in there, but what you do get in there will almost certainly uh, set the tone for their their food choices and their food taste as they grow up. Right, exactly. And it's just another, it's something that I wanted to, I would, I would, you know, maybe we'll have her on again, I'm sure, and she could, and you guys can explain that. We've talked about food, we've talked about diet, but that's certainly an aspect too, <clears throat> right? What are you putting into your body? You know, in at least a year, you know, what, how are you preparing, how is a woman preparing her vessel? Her physical vessel, um, in at least the year before trying to conceive, and even men in that regard too, sperm quality and all other stuff, right? That relates to one's diet. That relates to one's, you know, that's on the on the physical side. <clears throat> but then there's the mindset, <clears throat> right? There's the way of being. There's how you got, you know, both parents are energy beings. You know, what's the quality of, uh, what's the quality of their lifestyle? What's the quality of their food intake? What's the nature of the relationship between the two of them? What are their expectations? Uh, how are they, how are they going through life as individuals, right? What kind of emotional intelligence do they have? Well, you know, uh, how are they prepared physically? You know, are they physically fit? Again, what kind of food are they consuming? What kind of environment do they live in? All of these things, um, all of these things, it, it's a continuum, right? So there's before, and then there's the conscious uh, agreement between the partners to conceive, and then there's the invitation even beforehand, right? Okay, we're, there's two of us. We're about to make a third. And then, you know, energetically or psychically, as I think you uh, alluded to, there's the invitation, right? There's the invitation for this other being to come in. There's the expectation of, of the potential nature of that being coming in, right? Okay, then there's, the con then, there's, then there's the conscious act of, okay, we are going to conceive, we are going to create this being. And like I said, uh, that's a tiny proportion of, uh, of, of the mindset behind <clears throat> most acts of coitus. It's just not there. Even between, the, oftentimes, even between married couples who are open to becoming pregnant. A lot of them aren't that's thinking right. about, a lot of, you know, a lot of them aren't thinking about we are going to conceive, right? <clears throat> it's, it's, just yeah. kind of, it's just an open possibility, right? Uh, I, I really think, I think what you said, Corey, that you were originally asking about preparation, I think that really yeah. is the key, is the preparation mentally and physically, and then the willingness to adapt and or continue down the path, no, no matter what comes your way. And then also, you know, the, the precogging, thinking ahead into the future and trying to improve yourself and your potential response to anything that you would perceive as negative as a child grows older. For example, me being a father to a daughter, uh, which I had, I've never experienced what that feels like before, I'm very much like 
very protective. You know, like I will rip your throat out if you try to look at my daughter the wrong way and shit like that. I feel that. Like I feel this animal inside me that was always there. I'm a very brash, aggressive person, even though I'm a skinny, tiny white guy. I'm very, very aggressive. I'm not. Uh, I'm very willing to engage in any type of protection activity that I need to. But what I also consider is like, holy shit, how much is this protective energy going to? How much could it possibly interfere with my daughter's life choices? Uh, and how much do I need to be a role model or show her and trust in in my own self and improve myself so that as she's growing up, she becomes this self-reliant, stable person who's not dependent on somebody else to provide her her value, which I see a lot of daughters are, um, they either do things to, they do things to get their father's attention, whether that's bad or good, and a lot of their self-identity is centered around the father. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's same, it's true with the, the mother has their own connection. But for the mm-hmm. most part, uh, a, a small boy or a small uh, girl will look to the father for the developmental role model uh, mimicking, if you will. And mm-hmm. so how am I going to respond when my daughter starts dating? Well, I need mm-hmm. to, over those years, I need to make her, or not make her, but show her and give her the right conditions to where she becomes her own powerful, self-valuable person who loves herself mm-hmm. enough to know that she needs to be careful who she associates with uh, and be careful who she mixes her energy with physically or spiritually and and to never uh, give in to social pressure to be somebody else that she's not or some, to do something that's not within her own set of uh, developed set of morality. And in mm. that regard, I think that prevention or preparation will suffice for the most part to relieve some of the, the worries that most dads have, like about fucking pregnancy or abusive boyfriends or toxic fucking, just toxic, toxic relationships between kids where they mm. feel pressured to give oral sex in public because that's the new fad or they pre- feel mm. pressured to fucking eat a goddamn Tide Pod and then a month later all of a sudden they're fucking constitutional experts talking about gun control even though they have no concept whatsoever about what gun control really is and what it's done. You know, I see all this shit happening to high school level kids and they're just so fucking dumb. Parents, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Some of your kids are fucking idiots. They're dumb. And you are to blame. You are mm-hmm. fucking blame. Okay? We've all got our own little problems. Jasmine's not perfect. Amy's not perfect. I myself, Jordan, am not perfect. But I've fucking got my, my ear to the ground, my finger on the pulse, and I know exactly what I'm trying to do in order to make sure that my child doesn't end up as a gullible, dumb, fucking zombie slave. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of that uh, centers around preparation, leading by example, and trust. So that's what I would say when, in answer to you, Corey, is how do we prepare? We prepared for the long term. How, who are we going to be as people ourselves in 10 to 15 years when our daughter is coming of age, so to speak, and has to make all these crazy first-time decisions uh, without her her brain being fully developed because uh, consequences and personal development is not complete in the brain of an individual until about 20 to 22 years old. So it literally is a, a, a logical fallacy to expect teenagers to be able to uh, to understand fully their, the consequences of their action unless they've had special training to do so, unless they've been groomed, so to speak, in a positive manner, not conditioned, but groomed in a way to 
self-inflect or, or to look and inflect or reflect, if you will, um, about who they are as a person, what their value is to society, and what their mission is in, in life, which, of course, will change throughout the years. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's all I really had to say about that, and I will just maybe let you follow up with anything else that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I would say this, not having been a father myself, but somewhat of a philosopher, I would say to you, regarding your legitimate concerns about... Uh, about her interaction with the toxic world at that... Tender- yeah, about the, yeah, the <laughs> potential of being an overprotective father. <clears throat> the best thing you could do for her in that regard, is to be the best example of, of a man that you possibly can, right? In yourself, in your dealings with other people, in your relationship with Amy, and uh, that's what she's going to pick up on, right? Particularly in light of what you're saying, is that people really don't develop their understanding of consequences or their own sort of their full autonomy or what have you until later. And so really, uh, these kids are just feeding, kids are feeding off of what's going on around them, right? Their parents as role models. And so that's another thing too. Uh, You know, I see a lot of people who don't have their shit together, basically, as human beings, who are bringing children into the world and expecting their children to not behave like them. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, you know, keep that yeah. in mind, too. You know, it, kids are constantly watching, as you guys uh, alluded to. They're watching you when you're not watching them. Everything, everything that they, everything that they get is from the two people who are most present in their life or, or whatever or whatever individuals are most present in their life. That's who they're going to mimic. That is how that is how they learn. And so something to consider, man, you know, if your shit's not together, uh, best get your shit together if you plan on bringing another entity into the world. And again, <clears throat> you know, just like all the other things that we touched on in terms of uh Preparation, consideration, uh, um, visualization, uh, agreement uh, in terms of between uh, partners and and with and with the new entity coming in. You know, everything is connected together, and it's just again, unfortunately. Uh, it goes back to what I'm saying about our sort of alienation from nature or or, or the reality of existence, if you will. Uh, and the standard that, family unit that's being broken yeah. apart. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's a whole other, you know, that's a whole other 10 shows. <laughs> right. Um, but it's just, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I don't know, kudos to you guys, man. That's, that's all I have to say. You know, and uh, um, I, I have this sense that, and I, and I have for a while, that while maybe 80% of the population are lemmings running off a cliff in these times where shit's getting crazy, I think there's another 20% of people who are waking up, becoming more conscious, 
they're uh, they're moving forward with their understanding of, of of what it is to be a human and what it entails and everything that goes with it, right? Mm-hmm. Lifestyle, lifestyle, diet, uh, intelligence, emotional intelligence, um, sex interactions, uh, conceiving and raising children. You know, uh, our interactions with other people in our community, with our physical environment, with nature, you know, food that we eat, how we comport ourselves, all of those things, you know, all of those things are absolutely essential. And, uh, and uh, people, another thing, it's like people are unconscious of, of their ancestry or of yeah. ancestral, of ancestral baggage, of, yep. of, uh, of psychological traits and emotional traits of their parents and of their grandparents uh, that people are unaware of that they are that I that they are themselves um, taken on or affected by and are passing on to the next to the next generation I mean it's just like even basic animal husbandry you, you know that <laughs> anyone who yeah. anyone who raises cows or goats or, or whatever knows that the characteristics of the parents uh, are predominantly the characteristics of the children. Or of the yeah, that's the whole point behind selective breeding. Yeah, exactly. And you could say there is a, a case to be made that that's what we've done here, selectively bred. We chose each other as partners. We both instinctively knew that we were compatible um, hormonic, horm- with hormones and biologically speaking, chemically speaking. Our genetics are very much similar and compatible as well, um, and then it was it was it was really the the making the commitment and determination to be in it for the long run, no matter how that showed up. And then also now that the baby's here and growing and learning and around, what I really find Corey to add to what you were saying is an energetic balance has to be struck between the two partners. What I mean by that is yes, it's important to have the mother and the father uh, have equal time with the kid as much as possible and interact with them both at the same time. Like when, when our baby wakes up, we strive to be there together when the child wakes up. When the baby goes to sleep, we strive to be there together. So the last thing they see is both of us singing a song to them. Right. It's, right. it's that type of stuff. But then it goes a step further, whereas you have to start as me, I should say, me as a male, a very strong male figure uh, or very uh, a lot of testosterone, a lot of like strong masculine qualities come out in my speech and my demeanor and stuff like that. Uh, I'm not just trying to toot my own horn, I promise. But that's just how I naturally am. I mean, I work with it, it works for me, sometimes it is what it is. But my biggest challenge or hurdle that I've overcome recently is trying to uh, adopt the qualities that Amy is naturally putting out as the mother for the child. So the mm-hmm. nurturing feminine, the singing to my, my, my kid in silly voices and not being afraid to be goofy with her and be very gentle loving when she gets upset and not react like well what the fuck do you want now or why are you why are you screaming at the top of your lungs when you're not dying you know you're screaming like you're dying but you're not Um, what the hell is going on so i have these moments where i have to be like okay i have to embody what i believe to be the divine feminine and she has to do the same thing with uh authority and setting Mm -hmm. uh, schedules and and masculine type of stuff so it really is very much a uh, partnership between the parents of trading qualities that are natural to them, trading those qualities between each other, and and dis- expressing or displaying that 
other side, the other side of the male or the other side of the female while in the presence of the kid. So that's the biggest mm-hmm. thing, biggest hurdle that I've experienced lately that I'm trying to to strike up a balance of, you know, in myself. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Hey, quickly, can I say one more thing? Of course, of course. Um, I want to talk about vaccines. And I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit. Mm-hmm. In that I know that there are, there are some people who have chosen not to vaccinate their kids and their kids have gotten sick. Okay. Um, so that does, that does exist. There's probably a very, generally there's probably a very small percentage of people who are not vaccinating their kids. Um, uh, we can, we, we can definitely, there's a good amount of body of evidence, uh, that shows that vaccines are, uh, not all that they're cracked up to be, for example, <laughs> um, you know, there's all kinds of shit in vaccines. There's a super, super toxicity load. I mean, the, the, the amounts of uh, chemicals and, and bioagents and shit like that that they put into the vaccine that they dump into a small human being at a very early age in time uh, is absolutely phenomenal, if not criminal. Um, I, I wouldn't dispute that in any way, shape, or form. Um, um, some people who have chosen to not vaccinate their kids have had some problems. I want to address that. Uh, I'll say this. I, I think I can wrap that up real quick. I know where you're going with that in the different areas. Yeah. I'll say this. The vaccination question to vaccinate or not question or to not vaccinate really was a big issue that was causing a lot of people problems. And in some jurisdictions, they're still having some issues. But right. for the most part, it's been really resolved. Uh, there is many experts, inclu- including a Harvard uh, a Harvard graduate immunologist, who clearly state that 90% of vaccines are totally ineffective. Kids who get uh, vaccines still get the fucking things they're vaccinated right. against. So that right. in itself proves it's stupid and useless. And then also, n- not getting a vaccine and not getting sick is, or, or getting sick while not having a vaccine doesn't necessarily correlate to the fact that you didn't get the vaccine. You also have to look at diet and environmental factors, then diet is, very this much. Is, this is the point that I wanted to make, exactly the point that you're making, right? If, if you're going to, it's like being, a, it's like choosing to be a vegetarian, okay? If you're going to choose to be a vegetarian, you better know what the fuck you're doing, yeah. <laughs> right? If you, right? If, and, and also, are these people who are not vaccinating their kids, for example, what you know, and 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 whatever argument one could make that could say, well, if you had vaccinated your kids, your kid wouldn't be sick. But what's the kid's lifestyle like? You know, what's the what's the diet like? What's the environment like? Right? How is how is that uh, how is that? Uh, I don't want to use the word. I keep using the word child and kid. We, we know these are loaded things. But for the yeah, sake yeah. of conversation, how does a child, how does the baby, um, you know, what's the, what's the uh, actions of the parents in, in establishing a strong immune system? Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Exactly. Just because right. you don't get your kid vaccinated doesn't mean that you've been breastfeeding your child and giving them all exactly. the required bacteria exactly. and nutrients to build their own immune system. I'll say exactly. this, Corey. 
it is un it is unimpeachable an unimpeachable fact you cannot get around this fact that the body is designed with a human uh, the human body is designed with a natural immune system that if you follow the natural steps of parenting which is feed them your fucking breast milk and sleep with them skin to skin if you follow those two steps those two things in themselves will build the foundation besides the biological factors build the foundation of an immune system that can handle literally anything and the point could be made that people back before uh, so people say oh vaccine started and then all of a sudden disease rates around the world dropped well no that's bullshit disease rates around the world dropped because conditions got cleaner and hygiene practices were put in place hygiene not vaccination and and access to clean water and access to better food that's more exactly. Food then you've got you've got concerns of like polio and these other types of diseases. The way that those things are supposedly transmitted is total bullshit. There's a lot of good people in uh, doctoral and science fields that will rebut completely the way those things are transmitted, the transmission rates, and all the other uh, genteel facts that go along with all this uh, vaccination pro-vax people that always try to throw this bullshit out. The vaccines are not effective. The kids who get vaccinated uh, oftentimes are either sick, damaged, injured, or die. There is no question. You know, you've got a triplets, triplets that were all vaccinated, and all of them came down with fucking autism. You can't get around that. You can't fucking get around that. Then you've got the fact that the vaccines that are, are supposed to be some sort of uh, disease or whatever, they're like a lot of that active disease instead of the dead disease. They're a lot of the active disease, and they're a bunch of adjuvants, which is basically extra shit like aborted fetal tissue and sheep pig DNA and all sorts of crazy <clears throat> fucking things. And mercury and other mercury, preservatives and, and, yeah. and chemical agents and things like that. Yeah. So, Corey, you've got the fact that vaccines are toxic. They're not comprised of what they're originally comprised of when they first started. When they first started, they were dumb to begin with. Right off the bat, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Kids who get vaccines oftentimes immediately or shortly thereafter get the sickness that they were vaccinated against and show and present sick conditions and symptoms over and over and over repeatedly through their life, and they're more likely to get sick and die. And that's been proven over long-term studies. Then you have the fact that shows from a Harvard immunologist and very many other people over the years that shows that unvaccinated kids pose absolutely no harm or risk whatsoever to vaccinated children. And in fact, if they did somehow pose a harm or risk to vaccinated children, what the fuck is a vaccine there for anyways if they can still get it? Okay? So that's totally <laughs> And then you have like the countless stories of, of damage and injury and, and, and mental retardation and autism and all sorts of other things that happen after the people vaccinate. So there really sure. is no question. If you vaccinate, you are literally, it's not even like a Russian roulette type deal. You are literally loading a revolver with six bullets and no empty chambers, and you're closing that thing and you are pointing it at your child and you're, or you're giving it to the doctor and saying, yeah, go ahead, pull the trigger. There is no excuse to vaccinate your children. No fucking excuse. I will fight every single one of you who ever tries to tell me different because I have the facts, the logic, and the right morality on my side. And anybody else who tries to argue with me has lost because I continue to prove that vaccines are ineffective. 
They don't protect what they're supposed to protect from. They detriment and destroy the human immune system, which is designed naturally to be impervious and to adapt to any type of stressor factor. And furthermore, furthermore, the people who are saying that, oh, when you uh, don't vaccinate your kids, you're a risk, that's total bullshit. Okay, it's total fucking bullshit. You, sir, are the risk to the unvaccinated children. You, sir, are the one perpetuating this multi-billion dollar pharmaceutical fraud and scheme for the purposes of a few pe uh, people lining their pockets at the expense of millions and millions of vaccine injured and dead people and kids. Well, well and, and, right, and, and perpetrating uh, the profit-taking of, of the supposed healthcare system, right, by undermining human, natural human immunology to begin with, right, creating problem-reaction solutions. It's a perfect problem-reaction solution scenario. Right. Really um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, and it goes again, it goes back to we're animals, man, you know, and what what do animals do? Right. If they get sick, animals, they go eat animals grass. Yeah. Yeah. And, and <laughs> right. And animals, animals, when they give birth, they breastfeed and they sleep with their pups. They sleep with their offspring. Right. I don't know of any. I don't know of any mammals that don't do that. <laughs> you know, so and let's just be why honest. would we be? What, what why would we be any different? Know? Go ahead, Corey. I apologize. No, I was just saying, why would we be any different? I don't. I don't understand that. Yeah, well, now you're touching on something else, and you really know how to get me on my soapbox. I love it. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what other mammal in the world besides humans do you know? Like. How stupid does a population have to be that almost everybody is convinced that not only is it good for you, but necessary to drink another animal's fucking milk? All right. You've convinced everybody that they're somehow a fucking cow and have to drink some other animal's milk to stay healthy or to have strong <clears throat> bones. Dudes, come on, people. Wake the fuck up. Seriously, right, wake the fuck up. It's like the golden calf, golden calf worship. And I feel somehow it's tied in with idol worship in so many ways. <laughs> so, so the biological concerns and reasoning, Corey, behind the vaccinate or don't vaccinate paradigm, it's 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 been totally destroyed and resolved, if you will, in favor of yeah. people who don't vaccinate. All the facts, yeah. all everything shows that you should not vaccinate. It's only harmful. It's only dangerous, and everything can be overcome uh, without the vaccination with regards to a child's developing immune system. Now. And you've heard of people who are like, oh, yeah, go give your kids the chicken pox early. It very much does work like that, but then the vaccines try to play off that premise and say, oh, yeah, give them a little bit of what they got so that they can right. build to it. Well, no, if it's not in its natural environment and you give some dead fucking injection or some alive injection that's mutated, you're fucking your kid, okay? Uh, 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 now let's, let's, just, let's just end it with this. A lot of people would say, oh, well, Jordan, what about the legal concerns and being persecuted and yada, yada? You need to make good records. You need to build up a, a, a store of, of go-to facts that you can go to and sources. And if you have to, go fight for the, fact, for the right or go fight to protect the right, preserve the right to have control over what is put, what foreign substances, if any, are put into your child's body. Because literally what you're doing is introducing foreign substances that should not be there into your kid's fucking body. 
And mm. now we have like Supreme Court decisions and state court decisions that are saying, yeah, vaccines are harmful, they're dangerous, they're toxic. And the parent should have the ultimate right not to vaccinate. So if you're worried legally about being persecuted, well, first of all, you're going to create what you're worrying about. Mm. Number two, if you're not worried about it and you're prepared, then you don't need to be worried. So it's like a real self-fulfilling prophecy, but in a good way. If mm. you're prepared, you don't need to be worried. And the law is changing to have your back in a certain regard uh, to not right. vaccinate. Right. Okay. And, and I'll add that uh, that speaks to the uh, entire sovereignty question, which we, uh, which we love to talk about. Right? How are you engaged with the public? Why, how are you operating where vaccinating, choosing not to vaccinate your child uh, would have legal ramifications? Yeah. Right? Uh, <laughs> and that's the whole, whose property is it? Et cetera. So that's yet a whole other conversation. But, hey, okay. Uh, that Dude, I'm, Corey... We gotta, we've got to hammer that home in another show because it really is a simple thing. Whose property is your body? Uh-huh. Is it yours? Okay, yeah. So if you create something with that property and that property is created or originates from, from you, then whose property is the child? And I know that sounds shitty, but whose property is that child's body until, uh, in, until a certain point where they're self-aware and they're able to make their own decisions about their body? I'm not even saying necessarily until 18. I mean, you know, whenever they're fully self-aware and cognizant. Whose property uh-huh. is that? It's yours it's, and well, the child's. Yeah, it's, well, yeah, or it's not. <laughs> so are you, giving, are you giving, yeah, exactly. Are you giving away control of your property to somebody else who has no right. care or consideration or best interest at heart for your kid, even though they say that's what they're doing? Report to, well, yeah. Stop doing that yeah. shit, guys. Stop doing it. Right. And if you've already done it, find a way to get it back. Right. No matter what. Right. Knowledge. My people suffer for lack of knowledge. You know what you're doing, people. Yeah. Know what's going on. Know what's going on. And that's what we try to do here. Sometimes it feels like an uphill battle. Sometimes it feels like an uphill <laughs> Yeah, well, you're doing your part, man. And, you, and, 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 uh, and, and for real, right? Through your partnership and your bringing and, and your offspring. Right, you're living it. It's real. So kudos to you, man, and thank you for well, bringing that. Thank you very much. Uh, it very much is in a, a deep sense of gratitude and appreciation that I've developed for uh, for Amy and for Jasmine, and I dedicated. That's a big part of why I got out of consulting. Why I was gone for the radio show for two and a half months. I'm literally trying to restructure our lives so that we can be taken care of sustainably and grow a community sustainably and operate through this church to build a blockchain nation or currency uh, that is used by members of a nation that then go out and relieve the suffering and reduce the suffering and harm that's in our world and and help people to come back to being uh, functional, like fully functional and not dysfunctional and stuck in these patterns and totally hypnotized and mesmerized by the satanic filth that is mainstream culture, uh, it really is an uphill battle in some regards, but I'm willing to do it, and I'm willing to run up that hill over and over. So thank mm-hmm. you for that. Mm-hmm. Right on. All right, so let's end the show here. Um, 
we'll definitely have to have Amy back, and I thank her for her time, and thank you all listeners for listening to us rant about how great our kid is and how good of a job we did. <laughs> uh, there obviously there's more value to take from it than that, but you know it could be construed on a base level of that. That wasn't the intent. But again, thank you for listening. Thank you, Corey, for your contributions. And until next time, here's the bail, and the truth will reveal itself.